This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Tuesday, August 9th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. Pete Sampson joins us from The Athletic. Notre Dame is, as we speak now, five days into preseason camp. We were around for three of the first four, full practice on Friday, and then abbreviated observations on, on Saturday and Monday. Uh, Pete Sampson, uh, you, uh, your thoughts on, on what you've seen up to this point? Uh, I thought that the the offensive line, when you see it in person, made me a more optimistic about that group. Um, and then when you see, I think you wrote this yesterday, and I heard this on Friday, when you see Harry Heastan being super positive about stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was the same thing that you saw, I think, yesterday. I was watching Heastan, and it was Alt, Patterson, Carell sort of working in the left side together. It's like, damn, that uh, that group has a chance to be really, really good. So position-wise, that probably made the biggest impression on me. And then individual-wise, it'd be a toss-up between either Tobias Merriweather or Audric Estime for like, oh, that that looks maybe even a little bit better than I thought it would. I, you know, the most impressive to me, and it was not in the full because I was watching defense, um, briefly watching the running backs uh, one of the days last week, I thought Chris Tyree looked like a new veteran running back football player. I thought Tyree's feet looked so much better than everybody else's, and he just looks like he belongs now as the lead running back. And Tim and I said it, I think, on instant analysis. Lead running back does not mean 20 to 25 carries very much anymore, and it definitely doesn't for Tyree. But we were saying things like, you know, Tyree – Nine carries, five tu- five more touches. <laughs> right. Now we're saying like Tyree, 15 carries, you know, a few touches of the backfield, that type of thing. And I think that allows a guy like Estime, who I cannot wait to watch in pads, um, to be a complimentary back. That'll be that will be fun to watch considering I agree with you on the offensive line and the Logan Diggs news. I mean, I don't care if Logan Diggs doesn't play against Ohio State. If Logan Diggs is ready to roll for 11 more, that is fantastic. Because all of a sudden, you have four running backs and you no longer have a major running back problem. Like, the running back problem was you have three and what if one guy goes down? You can get through with four. I mean, four could get you through. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, Pete, with regard to what you said about Nordings offense line, Al Golden commented yesterday what a handful it is to play against that offensive line just because of the sheer length and size of uh, of that group um now they look good yeah I was I don't think I've ever I he had his back to me so I'm absolutely not positive but I believe that Harry Heastan used the word fantastic when he was, <laughs> and I thought I don't think I've ever ever heard Harry Heastan say fantastic you've heard it. better and good next <laughs> right yeah. right exactly so that was promising but it was veteran guys that that uh that had had isolated in a drill and and we're doing a good job. I, you know, for those of us that, for those that have joined us for our instant analysis after practice, Tim, I'm in complete agreement with Chris Tyree. I think he looks really, really good. And your guy, Pete is Riley Mills is just so impressive physically and and not just, you know, not just looking at him impressive physically, just the way he moves around because he, he's, in a lot of respects, he's built like a tackle, but he plays like a defensive end. And that's just a, a really unique, rare combination. I was pleasantly surprised to see how, how well um, Avery Davis was moving around. There didn't seem to be any real restrictions. Yeah. Uh, I think Marcus Freeman said, you know, just on the number of reps, but that's understandable. Jaden yeah. Thomas said yeah. that that really good first day. So, you know, I mean, there's some there's some good looking football players out there. 
when I, my initial reaction, when I saw some of the, the sizes, some of the weights, you know, I, I wondered, wow, is that too much when I see Michael Mayer at 265? But then, I mean, watching him yesterday, I don't see anything that's really limiting his mobility. 265 is a lot, but he carries it really, really well. Yeah, and he'll be going a thousand miles an hour at times in camp and away 260, 259 with the season. Yeah. That's how big, that's how it goes in these situations. He's a veteran at this point. He knows Tommy Reese gave us the only answer we need on Michael Mayer when somebody asked Mike's him, my- <laughs> somebody asked him how Michael Mayer looks in camp, and he's like, uh, like gave him the little look like what do you think and he goes mike's mike all right and then he next moved question on. I mean, what, yeah. what, what are you asking here this is nothing relevant to what it could be. you know i thought it, i don't think that we've seen this i know that i haven't but um al golden spoke very highly of of um jalen sneed yesterday which oh is he good did here yeah he did I missed oh. that part. Good. Oh, that's, absolutely okay that's who i came in late to al golden for good i did not get yeah. that when i was so that's promising that doesn't mean that he's ready to jump in and, no but that and was great play. But that that's good to hear because I don't, you know, we were a little bit surprised at his size. I think he was 198 in the spring, and he's bigger than that now. And off the top of my head, you you probably know Tim. Yeah, he put on. Is. I think he's to 210, 210, 212. Yeah. So he that's a that's a that's a good amount to add, not too much, and a good amount. And it sounds like actually Tim, two Alamacas. Two Alamacas is another guy that I mean that that guy. That guy's going to be really good. I think he's going to be a really good football player for Notre Dame. I'm going to give my first compliment to Jalen Sneed, and I didn't know that it was a compliment. I walked in 30 seconds after the Al Golden interview started. I was talking to Kaiser, and I thought he was talking about Foskey when he's answering the question. There we go. That's, see, that's, that's as good of a compliment. I, I, I ran it back on my transcript. I'm like, that must have been Foskey, right? He's talking about how we all know he can move. He's so fast and everything, but now he's fighting off double teams. Oh, it must be Foskey. Good. Foskey got better. Jalen Sneed. That's good to hear. I like that. But Tui Halamaka, you can't look at the guy and not think linebacker. Like that, he he was rated fairly. I mean, he's in the top 140. He might have been undervalued. Tui Halamaka. Well, I think he was. I think he was because yeah. he, was a, he was a little bit too big early in his high school career, which he's admitted. Uh, and then he trimmed down and then I think we saw a better version of him coming out of high school. So that was a guy that when I rated them at the end, when they signed, I thought, you know what, I'm going to move him up because I got, a, I got a feeling about yeah. him. He, he actually, he's been, especially since the spring, he's been more impressive than I anticipated. Bo Bauer said he's a very smart football player. He's like, people wow. always say instincts, but he's also smart in that he studies and he's the one guy. He didn't say he's the one guy. I, sh- I shouldn't put words in his mouth. He said, he's a guy that can, isn't just learning what to do, but why and how this matters to do it that well, way. Well, that, that's impressive because we did have an opportunity to to, to talk to James Laurinaitis uh, yesterday, and and he's impressive. He's fun. We have got to insist that – I mean, when we talk to assistant coaches, he's just got to be included in it because <laughs> yeah, he's, he's too much <laughs> He's too much fun. But, again, he was talking about – I mean, there, we all know that J.D. Bertrand and, and Jack Kaiser are – they're very intelligent football players. Yeah. He threw Bo Bauer into that group. And now we're throwing Tua to Alamaka in there. I'm at Maris Leofau too, but I think Leofau just, you know, jumps out at you physically. And so that tends to be the first thing that, that you say about him. I want to bring one thing about Leofau since we wrote down linebackers as something to talk about here, and this won't step on our questions. Marcus Freeman <clears throat> in the spring, Marcus Freeman in our summer interview, Al Golden and James Laurinaitis all mentioned reigning in Maris Leofau's exuberance at practice and keeping his teammates safe. There's got to be something that there's a reason that's being said. That's four different 
three different coaches, four different instances. Every time you talk about Leofau, it's raining him in, raining him in, raining him in. Love his energy, raining him in, raining him in. <laughs> it's like, what? And it goes kind back to the like, spring game, right? I mean, yeah, he's yeah. the the penalty there. And I remember There's another one. Yeah. I remember talking to Leofau last summer for he goes, story I was doing on MTA and I was asking about Freeman coming in and, you know, this is defensive coordinator and Freeman got together with MTA and Maris and Botello and basically said like, you guys are too emotional. People think you play out of control. Um, so I think that's just sort of how it's always been for, for Leofau and Botello less, much less so. Less, MTA. Less so MTA yeah. But he was like, this is the, this is what people think about you guys. Um, you guys can change that narrative, but you got to, you got to make a conscious effort to do it. All right, let's talk about quarterbacks because so much was made of of one practice, which was it was a full practice, and it was about 40, 45 minutes of red zone work. And I do have some stats here just to just to put everything in a little bit of perspective. Stats don't tell you everything, just like on defense, tackle totals don't tell you everything. But uh in the red zone, and this is unofficial, but I think I tracked it pretty accurately and this is one practice this is the this friday open one practice. Pra- yeah it was an open practice and tyler buckner i had him at and everything pretty much was it was a completed pass it was a touchdown because it was in the red zone yeah it was in yeah. the 10 yard when we say red zone we should be clear yeah, it's it was red right. it's been like the 10 yard line the whole time yes not, you're, at, not you're absolutely right yeah. i i had uh tyler buckner five for 12 with five tds and drew pine with 10 for 16 with nine tds I just I, I, I just want to put this out on the podcast since it's Irish Illustrated that I apologize to your readers for complimenting <laughs> Drew Pine. I'm so sorry that I did that. I should have known better. Um, and I it's it's totally my bad. I'm yeah, sorry. You should you should know better. For the record, we don't we don't I don't care who wins the job. I want the best quarterback to win the job. I don't care who that is. I expect it to I expected it to be Tyler Buckner. And I still do now oh, because I still yes. think that I still think that he does more things and that Pine is the perfect relief guy. But I did really like the way Drew Pine, uh, you know, I said something to Tommy Reese about running, leaving the pocket. Yeah, leaving, and he yeah, was yeah. like, you know, it's just kind of sliding towards the direction that the receivers are going. And however you want to say that, I, I, I understand where he's coming from there, but. I thought Pine was better. I, 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 you know, I mean, it's not, this is not, we're not going to be cheerleaders here. We're going to observe and tell you what we think. We may, what we say we think may be wrong, but when I say these numbers, I well, thought I think he was better that day. And that's in that right. He was, be, yeah, he that's was better that is. day. And that's yeah. it. That's it. We're not saying Pine should start it. He was better for that 45 minute segment. And he, re- and I thought he, he was, was resourceful. He was more resourceful than, than Buckner was in finding something open and getting it to a receiver. Pine was much more likely to run with the twos, which is significant for the Friday practice we saw. And so Tyler Buckner is going to start and Drew Pine will be a better version of Drew Pine from last year as the number two. Like both those things are good. See, I don't yeah. like, I, I know what you're saying, but I don't like to say, bring in the whole number two thing. Cause he's throwing against the number two secondary. So, I mean, I, that, it, that it's a, it's a wash then I, I maybe it's not a wash, but. I think that that detail has to be included, but I'm, I'm probably blowing. I'm already blowing this out of proportion. It was one segment. And we're, I, I mean, I'm just trying to clarify that it was one segment and I thought number 10 played better than number 12. That's it. 
Yeah, I had the de- this is the other way of looking at it is I had defense, defense only. So when this is happening and you don't have defense only, if you're Pete and you're just watching practice or you're Tim and you're watching offense, every snap I looked at the seven defensive players, every snap to see who's on the field so I could figure it out. We I had no idea. I had order- no idea who was throwing the ball most of the time. I was only looking at the defense. So when there was that beautiful rollout diving catch by Lindsay with Mickey and yep. great coverage and Tui Halamaka chasing, I said to Pete, that was a nice throw by Buckner. And he goes, uh, that was pine. <laughs> yeah. So that is the difference too. Like I expected it because he was rolling right on the move, delivering an athletic throw. I was not looking at the quarterback. Yeah. I just saw the ball. And of, I mean, I, I think it's part of its expectations. I expected that to be Buckner. I think it's great that it was pine because Drew Pine's going to be called upon this year. There's no, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I, you know, I didn't say anything about this in instant analysis. I haven't said anything about it now. That was a great play by Braden Lindsay. That was a tremendous, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a tremendous play, play by Braden Lindsay. It was, it was both guys, and it was, it was absolutely the play of the day that that we saw. Enough of that for now. Wide receivers, I think we're all impressed with Tobias Merriweather. He's listed at 197, 198, something like that. Tim, like you said. He'll be by the end of camp, he'll be back down to 191 <laughs> probably. Because he, I mean, he is thin. He is not, that's not a, an ultra strong looking body right now, but he's a tall freshman and yeah, he's been, he's been impressive. Avery Davis, I thought was impressive. He was impressive that day. I love the way Lorenzo Styles looks now. I, I commented about it in yesterday's instant analysis about kick returns, how he seemed to, to fit the part, but I think Lorenzo Styles is on the absolute verge of of having a great sophomore year. And I do want to say this because I think I left it out of the practice report. You would think I would include this because information is so hard to come by in five periods. But uh, Joe Wilkins Jr. was running sprints across the back of the end zone from one sideline to the next. So that's a really good sign. That doesn't mean he can put his foot in the ground, plant and cut and stuff, but that's an excellent sign. Not necessarily that Joe Wilkins is going to make a significant difference with the receiving core, but a veteran guy with a small group and mostly, or at least have probably about half of them younger. Yeah. It'd be good to have Joe Wilkins back in action to just help that overall group. Yeah. I agree with the styles observation. He explodes off the, off the turf too. They were doing some drills, go get, go get the high balls. And of course, Merriweather and Colsey were going up and getting the high balls and it made it a little easy. And even Chauncey Stuckey was like, all right, I'm going to challenge you next time. And he didn't throw a great high pass. And he was mad at himself because he's like, I'm going to challenge you. And he throws to Merriweather. Merriweather like, looked like he was half <laughs> half jumping off of his bad leg and easily catching it anyway at his high point. <laughs> Stuckey's like, oh, man. <laughs> he didn't challenge it. him well enough. But then he throws low and Deion Colsey, you know, catches it. But he says, all right, man, you know, you, you got to bend too. You're not, not all going to be up there high for you. So it's it's a lot with these five period things are just a lot of drill work and you try to get something learn to try to get something from the coaches with the players in them because it's better to hear the coach instruct them than for us to say ridiculous things like he had a good elbow turn and, and foot placement on that pass like it's you know if we if we hear a coach say something and correct someone or correct someone and then they do it right the next time that's that's what you which, want which is what I'm glad you pointed out which is what Merriweather did because clearly in a drill he was exposing the football when we were still inside and Stucky showed him exactly you know how to do it but that's a freshman so I, he's been really impressive he's been impressive all summer but I've seen and that wasn't the only time that he really instructed him saying that you saw the same thing too Tim you know he's a freshman so there's a lot of instruction there uh Pete uh jumping over the defensive side of the ball I I think 
I think this has this team has a chance to be great defensively. I, I meh, very, very, very good. I may let me hesitate to say great before I see it's hard because they play the best Lewis and how that in the game. Yeah, they're the not going to be great team. on September 3rd. That's um, that, that, yeah, that's going to be real. That's a, a tall order, but. You know, in the trenches, can you can you get a stalemate in the trenches against their offensive line? I I think you can, and yep. then take it a next step with the pass rush. Um, just your overall thoughts on the defense. I you know I think that the line I'd sort of been banking on. Okay, uh, Foskey, Jason Adamalola, um, and then my guy Riley Mills, who will now be referred to as my guy the rest of the He's season. Kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But then I didn't really spend much time on like. Oh, well, what did Howard Cross give you? I don't know. I just like he's the fourth defensive lineman. It just he just needs to sort of like be okay to good. And then he was like penetrating all over the place on Friday. And you're like, well, wait a minute. If if this guy can also hurt you to force you to not scheme everything to Foskey or not scheme everything to Jason Adamalola, and then you have Justin Adamalola too. I think, I mean, the defensive line could be better than what I thought, and I thought it was already going to be very good. Um, you know, the golden linebackers all, you know, certainly the Bertrand, um, Kaiser, Bauer, if you're able to play at a very complicated yet high level and, you know, kind of high IQ stuff. I didn't really put a whole lot of thought into that, honestly, when I thought about the summer and, like, what the defense is going to look like, but if we're talking about the defense at the second level, really all executing at a, uh, you know, people hate this, but like executing at like a Joe Schmidt kind of level um, pre ankle injury where you just, you know, where to be all the time, 100% of the time, like that would sort of change how I view what the defense could be a little bit. Well, people can hate that comment, Pete, but Joe Schmidt was good before he got hurt. He yeah. he, he was. And it wasn't always, you know, he was undersized. It wasn't always flashy, but well, he, knew, there he, be knew, guys. he knew he knew what he was doing out there. And that was, that was, and Jack Kaiser is a lot faster than Joe Schmidt and Jack oh, Kaiser yeah. didn't know what he's supposed to do. Just like Joe Schmidt only get there faster. Same with Bo Bauer, who's more imposing than Joe Schmidt and know what to do. And then he comes up and drills you as a, have you seen Bo Pete? You got to look at Bo Bauer up close. I interviewed him yesterday. That dude got bigger in his upper body. He is he is a guy that is majoring in football because he graduated like seven years ago from Notre Dame. Yeah, he committed he to Brian Van Gorder. Yeah, he, yeah. He oh my did. god, he didn't play baseball for Notre Dame because Brian Van Gorder told him not to. That's how long ago Bo Bauer. Bo Bauer could have been in the College World Series. Tim, you could have yeah. been covering him there. It's all it's all Van Gorder's <laughs> fault. It's always his fault, no matter what we look at. Uh, a couple other guys I want to jump around to, uh, and we hinted to this as we were doing our counting down the Irish. DJ Brown is going to start opposite Brandon Joseph, wouldn't you I, say? Yes, I agree. Yes. Um, and I'm and not it, sure. I think that's a fine thing. I don't think Ramon Henderson went out and got him, though, either. Is that that's fair to say, right? No, I, w- I would agree. And I, and I don't like the narrative that uh, the perception DJ Brown struggled against Oklahoma State. What DB did not struggle against Oklahoma State? But he struggled. I mean, he, he, he slipped looks, a couple he, times he and he did. Yeah, it was not a good game for him. But think about how well he played after Kyle Hamilton was injured. That's what I think you sometimes we we focus on one instance and you need to look at the entire body of work. And I think DJ Brown, from what little we've seen up to this point, um, has played pretty well. Before we go to segment two, you know, since our last podcast, Notre Dame did get verbal commitments from Jay Nosbury and Ben Minnick and Dylan Edwards and Peter Jones. Um, So they have continued. Well, 
up to that point, continued to, uh, uh, to excel in the recruiting uh, part of things. Um, but um, anything else you guys want to mention from the practices that we've seen before we go to segment two? Uh, I, I like the tone that Freeman set after practice one where, yes, you know, great, he was, he was really demanding. And if you sort of watched his message to like, you know, when they huddle around him, like it wasn't like, Hey, great, great job guys. Like good effort on the first day. It was do your freaking job better next time. Um, you know, and I, I think that that message probably hits, hits well with a roster that has gotten to know him very well. Um, you know, he has so much credibility with the players and how hard he can push them. But, you know, that was, that was always the thing he said, you know, you can't, you can only push a guy as, as far as they trust you. Well, now we're going to, the pushing starts last week. Um, you know, that, that, that I think is significant. The fact that he was so demanding on day one. And I thought, um, his comments on that when he said, uh, I have a plan. He, he was pretty pointed with it. He said, I have a specific plan to get us through this camp to this game. And he doesn't want people messing that up and not being available messes up that plan. And if you're not available, somebody else is available. I was a little surprised. I mean, we're talking about heat exhaustion, right? I mean, yeah, to, but they to gave be a over. lot of breaks. Like, I mean, Blake Fisher's obviously a big guy and Zeke Curl is going a million miles an hour, but they give them, they, they had period five was a break. Well, like I re- period five okay. was a running clock break. And then I, I realize that, but you know, they have GPS. Yeah. They're attached to the GPS system. And, and, you know, if the numbers tell you that, that a guy's overheating or his heart rate or whatever, I, I, you know, I guess I would, I guess you should have tended to that before the first practice. I mean, you had to do right. that the, the previous yeah, two months. That's how I interpret. That's what I interpreted. Okay. As. Like, well then you wanted the players to like, you know, the day before, two days before you, you got to be more on your stuff. That's just, you know, that's how I interpreted you know, it. Then I, then, then he, he should have addressed that earlier in the summer, I guess is my initial reaction to that. Look, we're just spitballing here. I'm not, I'm not criticizing, but I did, I did find it kind of interesting. And he is, I mean, I think we're going to find that. Yeah. He's a, he's a player's coach, but I don't think there's any doubt that he's, he is going to consistently hold them to a high standard. I mean, just exactly what he said after practice, when they're not playing well, when they're not productive, you know, Brian Kelly would, would go into his Brian Kelly speak and say the same thing year after year after year. I think this is a little bit more fresh and sometimes a little bit more attacking. And that's good because, you know, like you said, I mean, there's a relationship here. He's a player's coach, but he is going to be demanding. Coming up next, Burning Up the Boards, segment two. The biggest pro football overlays in Vegas are back with $12 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circus Sports with two ways to win and no rake. Circus Sports million with quarterly payouts and 100% payback. Play Circus Survivor and select one team each week with no point spread. Take in the big money with $12 million in guaranteed prizes. Enter in Vegas, play from anywhere. Visit CircusSports.com for details. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. 
The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from CMU Pens fan. What will hinder Notre Dame more in 2022? A lack of receiving depth or inconsistent kicking game? That's a tough question because if it's if it is an inconsistent kicking game, then that's going to hamper them more. I don't know if it has to be inconsistent. We've talked about this that they didn't look good a few years ago with going into the summer. Um, I think the bigger problem until we see differently is an inconsistent kicking game because if you're going to miss nowadays, you can't go 14 for 20 inside the 40 yard line, right? And you can't go one for or three for nine from 50 and more. You, you have to be able to hit. You have to be able to hit your field goals. I would. I hard lean towards the kicking game on this one i think you know the receiving depth will hurt them a little bit but i don't know what the who the equivalent of tobias merriweather and lorenzo styles are (laughs) i I get where you're coming from but i'm definitely saying lack of receiving depth because that's such a more significant part of the game over the course of 12 regular season games um you know now if everybody stays healthy which is a rarity but i think that groupie Blake groupie he clearly is not going to have the range at six foot three six foot four Jonathan Doorhead but let's not let's not blow this out of proportion and you know again he's going from Arkansas State to Notre Dame so the magnitude of every one of his kicks is going to be completely different than what he dealt with but last year he was 20 for 25 and John Doerr was 16 for 21 so let's not yeah I mean let's not blow it out of proportion I clearly length is going to be an issue he's just he's not a big enough guy and he's he hasn't had enough success uh from distance but i you know i i think the the receiving core is a much bigger portion of the game so i'm more concerned about that really quickly blake groupie uh can go ahead and miss two more field goals than he did last year as long as he hits uh two game winners at the buzzer on the well, road that's like no. uh, jonathan door did <laughs> no doubt from no what, doubt about 48 it. yards or longer yeah, from yeah. a bomb <laughs> yeah no that like something like that that's probably not going to be duplicated in 2022 yeah. irish from a2 will tobias merriweather's freshman impact this season be closer to tj jones lorenzo styles or michael floyd i'd like to point out there's one more guy missing my man kevin stepperson that's what oh, that's, yeah. that was my answer. I was Jefferson uh, yeah. is my right in vote because it was well, and his his numbers would be more in line with Jones and Styles, except for the touchdowns. He had did he have five? He had five, five touchdowns. He had five as a freshman. That's pretty one on a Dory Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Um, no small feat there. Michael Floyd had seven touchdowns as a freshman. He was a forty six receptions. I, I I wouldn't predict that. Uh, you know, TJ Jones had five hundred and thirty one snaps as a freshman. Yeah, he um he won that job in the spring. Remember, it was just like, yeah. holy cow, that guy's a yeah. I mean, for the record, he had, it, TJ Jones, 2010, 23 catches, 13.3 yard average, three touchdowns. Lorenzo Styles last year, uh, 24 catches, 14.3, one touchdown. And Floyd, I, you know, I mean, I I don't think it's going to approach Floyd. I think his snaps, Styles had 249. I think uh, Merriweather snaps will be somewhere between the 249 of Styles and the 531 of TJ Jones. I think that's a good call. Yes, I agree. Uh, question from Fanhood What is the Audric Estime vibe 
We know he has physicality, but has he taken his game to the next level? I liked him on Friday. Yeah. I still want to defer to pads because I want to see him put one on somebody and then be like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I don't think we can judge him until we see that. I mean, obviously he's he's extremely impressive physically, Uh, but I saw another instance and again, they weren't in pads, but where I thought he should have kept it between the tackles and he kicked it outside that to me, that's where, that's where you evaluate whether Audric Estime is to use the term uh, taking his game to the next level. If he can recognize he has to mainly be a between the tackles guy. Now I will say that in the times that we've seen him kick it outside, including the spring, it's pretty damn good at it. Yeah. With, yeah. with that, with a, with at 229 pounds. Plus he gets you in space. It's a, that's a tough uh, square up tackle. You know, if he gets you in space and he turns his shoulders with his quick feet and a little bit of momentum, that's not the easiest. Uh, that's not the easiest task for corners and safeties. <laughs> Irish from a two, which is more likely. And this is a downer. Both Keon Keeley and Peyton Bowen end up at Notre Dame or neither Keeley nor Bowen end up at Notre Dame. Well, they're both verbally committed to Notre Dame. So I'm going to lean in that direction. I think it's more likely they get one yeah. as opposed to two. That's probably you know, the, the better choice of those two options. I guess to answer the question directly, I think neither is more likely than both. But one is more likely than neither. Correct. Yeah, that's how I, I go that way as well. Question from Dashing Domer. I saw a 4HL thread recently where several posters were expressing their hope that Junior Tui Alamaka and Prince Kali would soon replace Bo Bauer <laughs> and J.D. Bertrand in the starting lineup. What are your thoughts about that? I put my thoughts in. Monday musings, and I know the four starting linebackers for this year. There's going to be four guys that start unless someone gets hurt, and then there has to be another one. Well, not yeah, uh, it is going to be Jack Kaiser because he has no competitor at Rover, and he's a very good player. But I'm just saying, Jack Kaiser is not going to be replaced by one of those other guys. Um, Bo Bauer and J.D. Bertrand and Maris Leifau, and they will all start a bunch of games with Kaiser starting 13. The other guys dividing their other 39, or what is it? 26, 26, dividing the other 26 among them. Uh, you could have made this question a quick hitter for me. I have no <laughs> thoughts on that because it's not happening. I have. A, it says, what are your thoughts about that? My thought is that that's a silly thing to hope for. It I is mean, a unless, very silly uh, thing to hope for. It's I mean, unless, it, yeah, unless two Alamaka and Kali are just, they play like veteran linebackers that have done it forever, but that's not going to happen. That's unrealistic. The four guys, including... Leofile, those are the guys you want on the field. I, you- yeah, I, I think you could find a role for Tui Halamaka because because Leofile is so versatile and Bertrand could have more straight-up base will snaps than Leofile, but Leofile is playing in various packages and will. That Bertrand, all those snaps we thought he might be using at Mike aren't happening now. So Bo Bauer wouldn't. Bo Bauer could use a break too because Bo Bauer is part of the third-down package. At, I mean, yeah. Oh, no doubt. So no you doubt. could see Tui Halamaka getting in there and taking more snaps than we ever. He could be the true number two Mike, which we weren't saying. We were saying, ooh, is, how's he going to get on there as the number three Mike? Where now I think he could be the true number two Mike. Yeah. Do you know when, I think you know this because I think it was said in the spring, but I asked Bertrand this again. Do you know when he suffered the injury that required left wrist surgery? I vaguely recall it was like the Wisconsin race. September though, right? August. You're kidding. Yeah, I thought it was before the season. August. And, 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 and people talk about JD Bertrand, like he's a bum. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's a guy, that's a guy that you should honor as a, as a, as a true Notre Dame football player. For sure. Realistically, they want to see Leofau in the flat and coverage over. 
I agree. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I don't want to see him outside a whole lot outside the tackle box, having to put his foot in the ground and change direction. I, I get that, but I think the best way, like Drew Tranquil and Tavon Coney were overextended in 2018 when they had to do 850 snaps. So JD Bertrand should not be hitting. No, he was way, way overextended, way overextended. Play like a champ seven. Thus far in camp, are you getting any Reese slash Golson vibes with Buckner Pine as far as how the season may play out? And this combines with Irish McCarthy. Do you see a scenario where both quarterbacks play against Ohio State? Boy, I have not seen that in print in a while, and that made me weird. <laughs> Pete, Pete, go for it. Um, no Reese Golson vibes because Buckner and Pine, I think, actually get along just fine. I think they're, <laughs> they're friends. Um <clears throat> Do I see a scenario where both quarterbacks play against Ohio State? I guess if the if this question is being asked under the premise like, do they have a package for Pine? No, I don't. I don't see that scenario. If both play, either Buckner got hurt or somebody's getting blown out, and you can just put in the backup at the end of the game. Yeah, or he's really struggling and they're just looking for a spark or or something. So all I mean, the, that, all that, bad things is if both. Yeah, it, right. Yeah, I don't. I, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think that that uh, that's part of the plan. I think it's. I mean, I understand. You know, it's a legitimate question. I understand because you know these guys are. I mean, we have a question later about you know what, I think it's right at the end about what you think about the offense and what's going to happen and. I mean, I think it all goes back to the fact that you've got two young, inexperienced quarterbacks. That hasn't changed. We knew that. We knew that all along. That's why we've said, you know, I'm saying if Buckner plays full time, he's going to get picked 10 or 12 times. This is, that's just the nature of the game. Yep. I agree. So anyway, Frick 50 asks, the coach I have heard the least about over the summer is Al Golden. What is your impression of how he is doing both on the trail, recruiting trail, and as a coordinator? It's good, well timed because we talked to him yesterday. And every time I talk to Al Golden, I'm impressed with Al Golden. I think I would love his teaching style um, if I played for him. And I could also tell that he is probably really demanding that you be on your stuff when you show up to his meetings and practice. I don't think he's suffering the. If you are not able to do what Jack Kaiser and Bo Bauer and Bertrand and Leah Fow and maybe Tui Halamaka are able to do on the fly, like if you're you're learning these things, you're not you're. He has options that they aren't you because you right. need to know what's going on in his defense. Yeah. yeah. I I've heard a lot of good things about him as the, as a coordinator, um, especially as he's working with and building a relationship with Marcus Freeman. I think that that's a huge, huge strength of him being on the staff. I mean, in terms of a recruiter, I'm not sure I would put him in the, the top half of the staff in terms of recruiting skills. But I think that says more about the guys that I would put in the top half of the yeah. staff. You know, I mean, there's still, there's been a consistent steady stream of high rated defensive players committing to Notre Dame. So, you know, I think he's doing a pretty good job there. We, we have a tendency to say, okay, a great quarterback committed. That's Tommy Reese, a great running back committed. That's the running back coach. And I, and I don't know that it's all, it's, it's just not as simple as that there. It's all, it's also the head coach. I mean, obviously, especially with Marcus Freeman. So um, I don't know. I mean, he must be doing something right. And I've, I've always liked the choice uh, of, of Al Golden. I think he's, you've heard me say it many times. I think he's a Notre Dame guy, a Notre Dame type of guy and Notre Dame fit. And I, and I think, 
you know, it, it helps having very smart linebackers. There's no doubt that he yeah. has that, but I think that Al Golden has a way about him um, that he makes everything that he teaches them understandable. Yeah. You know, the linebacker part, Tim, I thought it was funny how you were asking the question, kind of like knowing what Al Golden thinks about the intelligence of his linebackers and everything. If you took every coach that came in and dropped them in their room and they saw those guys play for the first time and they had meetings with all those guys for the first time, then they all came out and talked to you and they had to tell the exact truth. Al Golden would be pretty high on the list of like, well, thank you very much for hiring me at Notre Dame to be your linebackers coach <laughs> and defensive, just remove defensive coordinator. I mean, just be like, wow, right. thank that worked out. Yeah. Like Al Washington would think to himself, no kidding. All right. Well, yeah, I can go three deep. This should be fun. I'm, it's, I'm glad you mentioned Al Washington because I'm impressed with the, well, the way Al Washington coaches. He comes out there with a lot of energy. No, this is not a comparison to Mike Elston because Mike Elston was the same way. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was. But I like the way Al Washington coaches them. He is enthusiastic. He's on them. And I think you see the players react accordingly to the energy that he brings out to the field as well. Next from Denver Maximus. What is more surprising? Logan Diggs might be able to play sooner than expected, or there might be a quarterback competition. Well, Pete, there's not a quarterback competition. (laughs) And I'm surprised Logan Diggs is going to be able to play sooner than expected. I'm not positive. He's going to play sooner than expected. Well, well, I, I mean, I'm not exactly sooner than week four. Like, like he's just to have him out there in that way. I think it's good. I, I, he said hopeful first third or upper third, whatever the term he, he did. Used. Yeah. So first month, I think he'll play before BYU. And I, I didn't think he'd play till BYU. So but I guess see, sooner than I expected. But see, here's the thing though. I mean, if he's not ready for Ohio state and you don't play him and then you have the next two opponents, wouldn't you, wouldn't well, you like to, to be don't conservative do that, though, really. there? No, I, I know if he's ready, he's ready. I, yeah. I, if he's ready, play, I get that. But if there's some uncertainty about Toledo and Cal, then wait till you go to North Carolina in week four. But I don't know. I don't know. He surely, I mean, he looked good and he, and he, you know, for a guy in a red Jersey, he keeps putting himself in some physical situations. <laughs> yeah, uh, did Pete, I mean, did he you got, see him fall down, Pete, when he in a drill on his shoulder? <laughs> on Friday, I saw him try to plow into Houston Griffin. Right, at the yeah, goal line. At the goal yeah. line, yeah. So, and McCullough talked to him after that, too. So, you got to pick your spots. But I don't know. Let's see. I I, I think that I, I would agree with you guys. I think what we saw this weekend indicates that, okay, he's – He's coming along. He's coming along pretty well. I'm going to add a writing question, Tim, because you mentioned Toledo. What's going to be a tougher week two opponent? Toledo last year or Marshall this year? I'm going with Toledo last year. What's tough? <laughs> Did I say Toledo? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were. Yeah, that was I, a tough opponent. I got that, Toledo. That was I got not Toledo. an easy game. <laughs> I still have Toledo on my mind. Uh, yeah, um, actually, I, no, that was not an easy game. Marshall's got some things too. Uh, they, yes, they, they do. They re- they really do. They're, Hopefully, they're, we're not calling I mean, upon Tyler Buckner to have his finger pulled back into place to win the game on a touchdown yeah, pass. Yeah, I mean that was quite I, a thing. Marshall is a successful lower yeah. level football program, and so that could be, you know, that could be a little bit challenging. Uh, t- question from Touchdown Irish: What is more important for Marcus Freeman to know slash do against Ohio State? One, clock management. Two, no one to go for it on fourth down. Three when to speed up, slow down the game, and for which personnel packages to use at different points of the game. I really like two and three here. Um, and I really hadn't thought about uh, how important it could be against Ohio State to know when to go for it on fourth down because you're going to have to. There's some there's, there, That is – that's like the minutia, I guess, a little more than when to speed up and slow down the game and, and that type of thing. And clock management, of course, is – 
that's always going to be on our mind until it's not after the Fiesta Bowl, right? That was just that's why you're, that's why that question's asked that way. The clock uh-huh. management's in there. Yeah. No, I think no, number if you're talking about how does Notre Dame win the game, number two will be the reason that they won it. Of yeah, four. that's a good one. That that's a really good one to add there. Who who asked that question? I got to be some credit here. Touchdown Irish. Good job. Uh, I'm always concerned about clock management, yeah. and it was and that's just exacerbated by what happened in in the Fiesta Bowl, but. Uh, I think that that's something that Notre Dame will end up paying a little bit more attention to. I mean, as far as preparation for it and having people in place to make sure that you don't have clock management issues. Uh, All I want to say about that is that's a developing story. And maybe that's something we can address a little bit later when I have a little bit more to, Mm. to provide up as it pertains to, clock management but i'm worried i'm always worried about that i think you were generally kind of always worried about that with brian kelly as, as yeah, successful I, as a head coach as back, he was i go back to holtz i was worried about lou holtz's clock management at times i thought they wasted clock at the end of games because i was an angry fan and i thought every i think every coach blows it because we're watching from afar and you think it's easy <laughs> but i know what you're saying there's uh there's some specific examples we can come up with with kelly too where you're like what what why are you no, this isn't where you go fast. This is where you go slow, but yeah. that's just a tough, that that's one of those things where the man in the arena has a harder job than us deciding who managed the clock improperly. Cause you know what, when they scored that touchdown against Ohio state or against Oklahoma state to go up 28, seven, I didn't think to myself, man, they should not have passed that ball to Mike or Mayer for that touchdown. At the end of the first in half, retrospect, yeah. it did go too soon. <laughs> the touchdown was fine. It was the two plays before it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's, that's tough. Question from Pin and Pole: Does this team have a tight end too, or is situation more likely to dictate playing time? I think that's going to be an evolving position all year. Um, I would, you know, I'd lean towards Kevin Bauman to start the season. But if you told me at the end of the year that uh, Eli Raritan and Holden, and even maybe even Holden stays were two A or two B, that that wouldn't surprise me either. And I would have said Mitchell Evans involved in that before he got hurt. I would have said Mitchell Evans would be the clear title. Well, right, right. So there is, yeah. there is a clear number two now, and it's Kevin Bauman. I mean, I still think it would have been Bauman going into the start of August practice. But with Evans out, I mean, he is the clear number two. And I, you know, I continue to say that I like Kane Barong. I, I think that he does some things uh, in the receiving game that only – mayor can do of course mayor does it extremely well, yeah, better I, mean, I know that yeah and and raritan now that's evolving we'll see and that we'll would see. be keen barong in a situation likely to dictate playing time right because that's yeah the, i mean i love that too uh, you you gotta love the idea of ha- when there's a second tight end on the field he's gonna get a great matchup yeah that's true, that's I mean, true. I mean, there's just there's no <laughs> doubt he's going to get a great matchup they're not uh, who's number 81 over there well who gives a damn look at number 87 you know, I mean, I think he's going to get some pretty good matchups, whoever that is. Um, when Mitchell Evans is there, what's the timetable on him? Late it's metatarsal, so if that happened in July, um, I mean, oh, yeah, surgery. Not it's a, no, it's not great for the season. But they, but didn't when he's it was originally. Back, but I mean, yeah. it's, so I Maybe mean, Kevin Austin. Like November. Kevin Austin had surgery on July 31st, and he broke it again in the second game back in mid-October at that Louisville game that no one will ever remember happening in a couple of years. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, Kevin Bauman, Kevin Bauman has a chance to be a pretty good tight end. 
especially again when he's on the field with Michael Mayer. Question from Woj to God. Chris Smith, another body on the defensive line or a guy that can make plays for this defense? You know, I mean, I think there's eight guys that'll make more plays than Chris Smith, probably. I would think it's maybe devaluing to say just another body, though, because holding your gap completely as a nose tackle in this defense is is making a play, too. Um, I don't think you're going to hear his name called a lot, but I, if Chris Smith comes in and when he replaces Jacob Lacey or Howard Cross or anybody inside and he's straight up, as Al Golden said, in 3-3 three, three, and he's holding his nose tackle right on the center, that's that's a pretty big, important part of your defense. Probably, I would I would lean more towards another body than a guy who's making plays. Um, but you got to. I think you got to look at it in context of what Nareem's going to ask from Chris Smith. They're going to ask what, like, fifteen snaps a game. Yeah, like, right? True nose backup doesn't get more than yeah, that. Yeah, that's you're you're not making a lot of plays at that position. I'm fairly confident he can hold the point of attack, which is step number one for a nose. Yeah. Um, I saw some things at Harvard, and it, it, this it really doesn't have it doesn't have anything to do with the competition. It's just focusing on Chris Smith and how he moves off snap of the football. I saw some things that were really, really quick. I mean, like a guy that, you know, can you, could you two gap with him now seeing him in person the other day, I don't quite feel the exact same way. So, I mean, I guess I feel somewhere it's, it's between the two and Pete, if you say it leans more towards another guy. Okay. I, I mean, I get that. He's coming from Harvard um, playing against a lower level of competition, but I think he can do some things and I think he's I think he's strong enough to hold the point of attack which is job number 1 for a guy in his position. Indy 11. Haven't heard anything in the first four practices about kickers and punters. Can you give us any insights or updates? Um <clears throat> we haven't seen the kickers. Um we did see the punters from a a football field and a half away withwise. <laughs> yes, Ooh, uh, those were those were some punts. <laughs> yeah, those are there was a well, we Blake Groupie is not going to be the starting punter. Oh, Pete, the two punts that went uh, that was Groupie. An aggregate three yards was Blake Groupie. Oh, yes. yeah, I had binoculars with me. I, that was Groupie that kicked those. That was an exaggeration on three uh, yards, but thirty but I, aggregate would not be an exaggeration. But yeah, I do think it's interesting because I don't think there's I don't think there's any doubt the guy with the best the longest leg is McPherson. Yeah, but, he looks like an athlete. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, his follow through is beautiful. Again, that was high school film or a camp film, kicking camp film. And he's got a beautiful leg swing, um, but can he be consistent? And I, I don't think, I mean, Sot does not have a beautiful leg swing. He punches it a little bit more, but he's probably going to be more consistent. Um, you know, kick returns and punt returns. Uh, those that subscribe to Irish Illustrated know who those guys are. Uh, that, that was going to be my smart Alec comment. Nice. Out of, out of the box was that can I give you any insight yeah if you subscribe yes, to Irish Illustrated you know some of this <laughs> there I said it I should have just said it off the cuff Next, uh, uh, we'll see about kickers yeah we yeah kickers should happen soon uh, they might start a practice with it I would would not be surprised if we see right. a starting practice right. versus a special teams thing there next from ND Bass 2001 2024 recruiting appears to be going well seems like the 2023 recruiting is about to hit a wall a lot of top targets seem to have other schools taking the lead. Is this just what recruiting is at this level? You tend to hit a wall when you already have 23 verbal commitments in a class. I mean, we did, you know, on June 30th, July 1, July 3, July 4, they got uh, Jagasaw, Bell, Flores, and Christian Gray. And then 
you know, right at the start of August, um, you got Osbury and Minnick and Edwards and Peter Jones. I, I don't know how many strings of recruits you expect to get, especially now that the, the season is starting. But, um, I mean, you already have 23 commitments in a class. They're not going to keep pouring in as I a guess- limit. I would, I would hope that most readers or listeners know that Notre Dame is not going to finish number one in the country in 2023 and that that's fine. Um, but they'll almost certainly finish in the top five. And I understand like that means they're moving down the recruiting rankings, but that's not really the point. Um, it's they're running out of room. They're down to a few guys, uh, if they can get like one or two of them, I think they will be quite thrilled. I, don't you I, think the question kind of comes from keeping Keeley? Yeah, no, oh, no, just losing the momentum. No, like, doubt. Yeah, that's the, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. like in fairness, Andy, that's something else. Yeah, yeah, but I, you know, to expect Notre Dame to finish number one in recruiting this year would be like expecting Marcus Freeman to win a national title this year. I mean, right out of the gate, you expect them to be number one? No, but they're there now, and they're not right out of the gate number one in football. <laughs> no, so, well, no, think... that's true. But, I, I mean, I agree with Pete. They're not going to finish yeah. number one. But but significant progress has been made. You have to admit sure. that. Now, if they lose Keeley, it's it's massive. If you lose Bowman, or uh, Bowen, that's, that's a huge loss, too. But it's the Keeley one. I think we talked about this last week. It's the yes. Keeley one that really... Not, not certainly safeties aren't dime a dozen, but man, true great pass rushers. That's where it starts. And so Keeley would be Keeley would be a, a, a huge blow. Final question from Errol Ryan. After what you've seen so far in fall camp, are you more or less confident in the offense this season? I'm the same. Unchanged. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm the same. Maybe, maybe we feel a little bit better about the offensive line. You know, not that we weren't high on them, but, seeing them in person, standing behind them and, and watching them work. It's like, wow, they do have a chance to be really good, but you're young at quarterback, you're limited numbers wise at running back. And, and over the course of a 12 game regular season, the lack of depth at wide receiver is going to hurt you. So um, having said all that, I, you know, we, we, we figured that the defense would be, have a chance to be really, really good to great. And the offense, they're going to have to find a way to bridge the gap at times. Yeah, and have not seen, in fairness to Errol Ryan, we have not seen them tackle yet. Um, that starts today. We won't We won't really see them tackle. Uh, that full practice, August 19th, is going to be pretty important for us to form some opinions because that's the one we're going to see them tackle a lot. I don't know how much they're going to tackle in the first five segments. Boy, we need to get a nice period five here at one of these practices while they're tackling each other, right? This is... Too much yeah, drill work some, for period five. Some, somebody asked me, uh, like, when they read the offensive report yesterday, it's like, quarterbacks, question mark? I, saw, yeah. uh, th- I mean. They exist. Yeah, I saw them throwing to student managers. It was really impressive. They're, they're just what, you know, the, the five periods just makes it very difficult. But anyway, we'll be having a couple more of those coming up here real soon. Yeah. As we wrap up this edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, thank you for joining us. 